sometimes you just gotta say his name when you lack the strength to say anything else you just say his name his name means salvation Jesus save me right now in this trial in this test Jesus save me from this sickness that's trying to get into my body Jesus save me from wanting to choke this person next to me Jesus deliver me I don't know about you but I'm thankful for Jesus I know Thanksgiving ended but Thanksgiving should not have ended. Thanksgiving is over, but Thanksgiving should not be over. I'm so thankful to God. And I'm thankful for those of you who came out yesterday and decorated the sanctuary. It looks so beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm thankful, as Pastor Jerry said, for all of you who donated, packed, sorted, delivered food boxes into the community last week. Thank you. Michelle Sellers, I'm thankful for you. Keep pressing on. My sister, we're so proud of you. Um, if I'm free that day, I'll be in Birmingham at the graduation. Amen. I got to see this for myself. Because you might walk across that stage, start shouting, and I need to be there as you pass, to, you know, to catch you and hold you and all that. But what an accomplishment. Wow. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for heat in the sanctuary. See, last couple Sundays, right? <laughs> it's been cold up in here, up in here. But I'm grateful, so thankful. And uh, God is wonderful. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that we even know the name of your son, Yeshua, Jesus. Not only that, that he knows our name. Thank you that you've inscribed our names on your palms. You know everything about us, even the stuff that other people don't know, even the stuff that we may not even know because of depravity. And yet you still love us and you call us friends and you've adopted us, given us the spirit of sonship, daughtership, and we cry out to the Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa. Thank you for intimacy with God when there was a time when we were so far away. But because of the blood, we've been brought near. We've been brought in. We are accepted in the beloved. And we're grateful today. But God, we're not to keep this to ourselves. This season reminds us, this song we just sang reminds us to shout it in the streets, from the mountains, wherever we are, in a grocery store, at the job, wherever we are in our homes, that Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the difference maker. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is Lord. Lord, help me to preach your word today. Thank you that I don't have to do it in my own strength. Thank you that I'm not alone. Thank you that your spirit is with me. He's also with your people. Lord, I pray that we would have a wonderful dance in this moment where you will minister to us that we can go out of this place and live a life that's pleasing to you, that even will cause our enemies to be at peace with us. We thank you, oh God. We're excited. We're anticipating in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start in Ephesians 5, but we'll spend the bulk of our time in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Now, today is the first Sunday of what Christians call the season of Advent. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent celebrates the four Sundays leading up to the birth of Christ that we celebrate in December on the 25th. We know Jesus was not born on December 25th. 
but it's a symbolic reminder of the fact that in reality, he came. And we celebrate leading up to his coming. And so the word Advent means arrival, arrival. And so just as in the first century, before Jesus came, there was great anticipation of his arrival. And there were some people who were giving, given cues by God. Um, the men from the east, we, we call them the wise men, they saw his star in the east and they were coming to worship Jesus. And so others, shepherds, um, they, they, they were given cues to come and worship the Christ child. Um, Mary and Joseph, as she was with child, they stopped at an inn as they were going back home to register for the census. But the inn did not prepare room, did not have room, did not anticipate their coming. And so what we do during this season as Christians is we anticipate the arrival of Christ. Um, these four Sundays leading up to what is believed his birth symbolically. All right, Advent. But I want to say something to you today. I said it in my class this morning, and that is Advent is still relevant. I know sometimes we're like, man, what's going on with this? Advent is relevant. Why? Because we're celebrating the one who arrived. We're celebrating the one who came. And because he arrived, past tense, and because he came, past tense, that gives us hope that he will arrive, future tense, and that he will come, future tense. Advent is relevant because the one who came is the one who will come. So we're celebrating the fact because had Christ not been born, we could not be born again because he came to die for our sin. But that's just not how the story ends. That's the gospel. But the fact that he's coming again. And the angel said, why are you looking up into heaven? Because this same Christ who went is coming back again. And so as believers in Christ, when we take communion, we're looking back to the one who came and died. We're looking into all the mess in our heart that we need his grace for. But we're looking forward to the fact that he will drink with us in the kingdom of God. Dead men don't drink. So communion is a way for us to look back, look in and look forward. And Advent is a way to look back, look in and look forward. Is anybody excited? Does anybody believe? Is anybody trusting that Jesus is coming again? If he does not come, he's not the Messiah. He's coming again. And so as we celebrate his coming, we also anticipate his second coming. And the church says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, for Advent, for these four Sundays, I want us to prepare our hearts. I want us to anticipate the one who arrived. And I want us to do it this year by the Christmas hymns. So every Sunday for these four Sundays and even on Christmas morning, which lands on Sunday, you're not going to be home, are you? You're not, you're not going to be home. You'll be here in the church, right? Because we haven't bought into all the commercialism of what the society says. Yeah, yeah, we're in the world, not of the world. We give gifts. We're not super spiritual, but we are spiritual enough to come to church on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, on Christmas Day. Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah, this place ought to be packed on that day. Uh, open your gifts, then come. Oh, come and then open your gifts. Whatever it is, man, worship the Lord. Come into his house. Anyway, don't want to lose you. Let me bring you on back. Four Sundays and even Christmas morn. We're going to take a hymn out of the hymnal, a Christmas hymn, and we're going to preach it. Because those hymns, unlike some contemporary songs today, aren't always built on Scripture. But those hymns, man, they were built on the Word of God. So I'll be able to preach the hymns. So the new series is called Praise Him, H-Y-M-N, Celebrating the Birth of Christ Through Christmas Hymns. 
Uh, Pastor, why hymns? Why are they so important? I'm so glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, because a hymn, Strong Tower, is a sacred song of praise. That's what a hymn is. It's a sacred song of praise that the church adopts, and the church makes it a classic, and it's sung for years and, and decades, if not centuries. It is a sacred song of praise. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, And do not be drunk with eggnog. No, excuse me, excuse me, with wine, in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, for those of us who understand the power of the grape, there was a time that when we would uh, uh, come under the influence of alcohol, that we would be filled with alcohol and it would take over our mind and it would get into our pores. And, 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 and one effect of alcohol is that some people who were quiet now become loud. And, and, and they like to sing all the time. They find people and they sit at a bar and they don't know them, but they're singing songs and they get the jukebox and they're, they're doing karaoke. They're singing because the alcohol makes them happy. Paul says, that's not how we're getting down. The Holy Spirit, when he overtakes you, one sign, one proof is that you're going to sing songs of joy. You're going to sing hymns of praise and you're going to do it with other believers. So you're going to sing. So that's why when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, a worship leader should not feel like he or she is pulling teeth trying to get God's people to sing, because if you're full of God, if you want to be filled with God, you will sing to him because you love him. And so we see here that a hymn is a sacred song of praise that the church sings, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. So this Advent season, we are going to go through the hymns. And today, we're going to begin with the Hallelujah Chorus or the Hallelujah Hymn by George Frederick Handel. And in this series, we're not only going to look at the hymns, we're going to look at the stories behind the hymns and the scriptures on which the hymns are based upon. And as I've been looking at this and looking at which hymns to pick, man, it amazes me how many of the hymns I still remember, how many I still know. So when I would look at them, and I can't sing, I make a joyful noise. I'm biblical. And I start singing these hymns. I'm like, wow, I still know them. So we're going to look at some of these hymns. But this one today, the Hallelujah Chorus, George Frederick Handel was born in Halle, Germany in, eight, excuse me, in 1685, the man who wrote this hymn. His father tried to discourage his musical interests because he wanted his son to be a lawyer. He wanted his son to enter into a legal profession. And this is a side note for parenting. Mm -hmm. God has a plan for your child that may go against the plan that you have for your child. Now train them up in the way in which they should go, but God is the one who determines what they're going to be and what they're going to do. And it might contradict with what you have in mind for them. So raise them and hold them loosely because it's God who might have to pry your fingers off your child to say, I want them going in this direction. So hold them loosely. And so daddy wanted his son to be a lawyer, but it was the organ, the harpist chord and violin that captured the young heart of Handel. And one day, while accompanying his father to the court of Duke Johann Adolf. So daddy said, I'm going to take you into the court. I, I want to put you around legal stuff. Well, young George wandered into the chapel. He found the organ and started playing. The startled Duke who heard the music, he exclaimed, 
whose remarkable child is this? Because the boy had a gift. So Handel started composing and performing operas in Italy and also in England. He opened the Royal Academy of Music in London and regularly performed to sold-out audiences. In his 20s, Handel had become the highest-paid composer on earth. But eventually, his glory would fade as he grew older. New artists and composers was coming, were coming out, and he couldn't keep up with the Joneses. And as one project after another failed, Handel became bankrupt and grew depressed. Well, the stress brought on a case of palsy that crippled some of his fingers. Now, what good is a musician without his or her fingers? And he plays the harpist scored and the violin and the piano. So the stress brought on palsy, which brought about crippling. Well, one morning at the age of 56, Dr. Jewell said it's not too late. One morning at the age of 56, Handel received a manuscript from a man named Charles Jennings. Now, we know about Handel, but we don't know about Charles. But there wouldn't be a Handel without Charles. Some of us are Charles in here. Others are Handels. Charles's are behind the scenes. Handel's is on the stage. But there's no Handel on the stage without Charles Jennings off the stage. Because he sent him a word-for-word collection of various biblical texts about Jesus. He just sent him a word-for-word collection. And Handel read, and he read, and on August 22nd, 1741, Handel shut the door of his London home and started composing music. 23 days later, I said 23 days later, he emerged with what is called the Messiah. Handel's Messiah opened in London in March of 1743. So he got it in 1741, but by the time they had to find the singers and the musicians and all of that, it took two years before it could be performed. Another lesson here, sometimes things incubate before they become great. But we want to rush processes today. We're the only generation that paces in front of a microwave. <laughs> We're the only generation that as soon as the Wi-Fi go out or it's slow, we start having problems. But sometimes, man, things have to incubate. And so for two years, this thing incubated. But when it came out, Messiah opened in London on March of 1743 to enormous crowds. So this story that we like to sing around Christmas time came out in March because it was exalting Christ and Handel's fame was rekindled. And even after he lost his eyesight, he continued playing the organ for performances of his oratorios until his death in 1759. Handel's Messiah is performed in three parts. Part one begins with the prophecies about the Messiah's birth, namely from the book of Isaiah. And it calls attention to the famous passage in Isaiah that says, comfort, comfort my people, God says. And the comfort is going to come from the one who will eventually send the comforter, Jesus Christ. So the people need to be comforted. So part one deals with the Messiah's birth. Part two contains the passion of Jesus. This contains the suffering, death, resurrection, ascension, and triumph of Christ. That's part two. And then part three ends with the promise of eternal life for believers and the dread of judgment for unbelievers. So if you came and sat through this performance, there were three parts. And what I'm going to unpack to you today, the hallelujah chorus was not sang in part three. It was sang at the close of part two. After he took time to walk us through the passion of Jesus Christ, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, but his triumph as the king 
of all things. You see the word hallelujah from the hallelujah chorus. It means praise the Lord. The Hebrew word hallel, which we see in the Old Testament, hallel in, in, in the Hebrew writings translated as praise. Many words in the Hebrew to speak of praising God, but the most popular is hallel, praise, and the word yah is short for Yahweh, the personal and covenantal name of God. God has many names, Elohim, El Shaddai, on and on, but it's this Yahweh, I am that I am, the tetragrammaton, Y, W, H, uh, 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 let me get it right. Anyway, the four letters. Y-H-W-H, that spells the name of God, to be, from the verb, to be. God is action, he's active, he's alive. I am that I am, Yahweh. But the Bible lets us know that Yahweh can be shortened to Yah. Psalm 68 verse four says, sing to God, which is Elohim. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. Yah, he's alive. He is the I am that I am. He has no beginning. He has no end, even though he's called the Alpha and the Omega. Yah, the God who always is, the God who always will be. And so Handel's Hallelujah Chorus in part two of Messiah, it was inspired by the word of God. It was inspired by Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse one. And I would like to read that to you. It's also on the screens if you don't have scriptures with you today. Revelation 19, beginning at verse one says, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Stop and pause. Heaven is going to be loud. Because when you praise God, it ought to be loud. Verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So we see right there in the book of Revelation, alleluia, which is like the Hebrew hallelujah. This comes, alle comes from the Latin into the Greek, into the English, but it still means praise the Lord. Four times mentioned here in these few verses. Hallelujah is not just something we should say but it's something we should practice. Practicing hallelujah is powerful. It's not something we just wait for heaven because we're in that group when it talks about there was a, a, a thundering, a great multitude of many waters. That, that's us. We're in this chapter, those who know Jesus. We, we're in heaven with him, about to come back. When he comes back and when he returns, we're riding on white horses, as the rest of the chapter says, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to wait to say hallelujah 
to God then. We can say hallelujah now because practicing hallelujah is powerful. Why? It involves two things. Practicing hallelujah involves a lifting and practicing hallelujah involves a shifting. This is why it's powerful. And this is why the devil wants us to keep our mouths shut, our eyes off God. But when we practice hallelujah, and not just on Sunday, when we practice giving God praise, not just on Thanksgiving, something happens. There is a lifting and there's a shifting. Number one, practicing hallelujah is powerful because it involves a lifting. A lifting of what? A lifting of our voices. We see that in chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. So it's great when a multitude is in one accord shouting and singing the same thing. It's chaos when a multitude is saying all kinds of things at the same time. But when a multitude comes together and says hallelujah, it is something that is powerful. So when we practice hallelujah, we're going to lift our voices. And so when we sing and worship God, especially when we're gathered together as his body and he fills the temple, we're not going to be those people whose mouths are shut. Because the Bible says, let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. That's hallelujah. But how come when we have breath, we don't want to give up the praise to the one who gives us breath? I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to stick a pin in that. I'm going to come back to that. Mm. Another thing about practicing hallelujah, it involves the lifting of our heads. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Hope is a positive expectation of the future. So no matter what you're going through, as Jewel quoted earlier, God's going to work it all out for good because we love him. We also know we can have hope because we didn't read the last chapter. We know that we win. Like today, I'm going to be out with my family. I'm not going to watch the game. But if I hear the good news that the Titans won the game and I go home and watch it on DVR and when I'm watching the game and I already know the outcome of the game, I'm not panicking when the Titans make some bad plays. I'm not panicking when the Titans are behind. Why? Because I know the outcome of this thing because somebody told me they already won. And if somebody done already told you, you win, you're more than a conqueror, you're an overcomer in Christ, why are we tripping on the field of play when we already know that we're more than conquerors and victorious in Christ? That's where our faith has to kick in and say, it's bad right now, but trouble don't last always. This is not how it ends. And so there's a lifting of your head. Because when you lift your head, because it's hard to say hallelujah and not lift your head. Yeah. Psalm 24 verse 7 says, lift up your head, O you gates. Lift up your heads, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord God mighty in battle. So I'm going to lift my head when I raise a hallelujah. I'm also going to lift my eyes, Psalm 20, 121.1, to the hills because that's where my Help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I know a whole lot of powerful people, but I don't know one person that can make a day. I don't know one person that can make heaven and earth. So I'm going to keep my eyes on him more than I look at people and circumstances and problems and issues. So when I raise a hallelujah, I'm going to raise my head and I'm going to raise my eyes. I'm also going to raise my hands. And you don't have to be a Pentecostal or a charismatic to raise your hand. You ought to be somebody that's in love with God, that's in love with Jesus to raise your hands. But some of us come from traditions where we say it don't take all that. But Psalm 134 verse 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. 
Some of us don't do that. We're afraid to do it. You know why? Because we're too busy thinking about ourselves than thinking about God. We're thinking people are going to look at us and think we're fanatic. You ought to be a fanatic for God. And let me tell you something. This is the natural posture for good news. When you hear good news, oh, really? You just won the lottery. What? Men do this at football games without being prompted. Your team scores. Ah! Jesus is Lord. Mm. Mm. Jesus is Lord. Mm. I don't do that. It don't take all that. Jesus, your team won. Yay! Ain't no rock going to cry in my place. As long as I'm alive, I'll glorify his holy name. And I'm going to lift my hands to God when his spirit prompts me to do so, to say, God, you are worthy of all the praise. I'll, I'll shout. Matter of fact, because if I keep lifting these hands, I might just clap these hands, oh, ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Worship can be, should be demonstrative. Doesn't always have to be still. Yeah, be still and know that God is God. That's part of it. But also shout to the Lord. Bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And if you can't do it in here with other believers, I doubt you're doing it out there. I doubt you're doing it at home. Man, you ought to have a selection of songs on your Spotify, on your iTunes that take you in when you need to go in. I love Parliament Funkadelic, but when I'm going through, I don't want to hear Parliament Funkadelic Atomic Dog. There's some songs, some hymns I got to hear that touch my heart, that help me get through what I'm going through. Because sometimes the hallelujah doesn't take the, the situation away, but God will give you the strength to get through the hallelujah when you learn how to praise him anyhow. And that's the test. Are you just going to praise me? like a kid on Christmas Day that gets what they want. Or you're going to praise me when you're going through. I heard a guy on television yesterday, one of the football players from one of the teams, his team had won. And he got on there, he couldn't even answer a football question because he's so busy being spiritual. He's thanking God, thanking God. I'm like, all right, brother, I hear you. He kept thanking God, brother, answer the question. Thank you, God. Thank brother, we know you love God. Can you answer the question? But then I started thinking, does God get praise on national television when you lose? You know, you're the loser again. Do you come out there and say, well, I just want to thank God? Or do you just thank God when you win? And a lot of Christians are like that. We only thank God when we're winning. But when Job lost everything, he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God want to know, can you praise me in the valley? I know you can praise me on the mountain but can you praise me in the valley? So practicing a hallelujah, man, it's powerful because it'll lift your voice, it'll lift your head, it'll lift your eyes, it'll lift your hands, it'll even lift your heaviness. Isaiah 61.3 says that God will give them a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That sometimes I'm just heavy. I'm oppressed. I'm, I'm feeling down. And I have to reach for a song or I'll try my best to sing a song to bless God anyhow. Because he said he'll take this heaviness off of me and give me a garment of praise that's light. And I can lift up my feeble hands that, uh, that, that were once hanging low I, I can, because he gave me a garment of praise. And I'm going to praise him, which is why sometimes it's called a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to praise him even when I don't feel like it. Because what does feeling like it have to do with praising God? He's good anyhow. He's good if I don't feel good. And he's worthy of my best praise. And he'll receive it. And somehow a transformation happens where the heaviness leaves and lightness comes into my life. But then finally, practicing hallelujah is powerful because it involves a shifting. A shifting of your Theology. Mm -hmm. We're praising God here. And in verse 4, it talks about there is a throne that our God sits upon. 
they fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne. So they said, hallelujah. In other words, my problems are not on the throne. My enemies are not on the throne. What I'm going through is not on the throne. No, God is on the throne, meaning that he's in control and he's sovereign. It'll shape your theology. And then in verse 6, which Handel picked up, he is called omnipotent. Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent. And then he said, reigns. My theology, man, when, when I'm praising him, when I'm giving him my best hallelujah, I learned that he's on the throne. I learned that he's omnipotent. What that mean? Omni means all. Potent means power. Omnipotent, all power. Also, he reigns. So that's why when we start singing those songs about he reigns, he reigns, it's just a reminder to us that the situations don't reign. He reigns. And nothing comes into my life without his permission or approval. Not only will my theology shift, my focus will shift when I raise the hallelujah. Paul and Silas were in jail for doing the right thing. They were preaching the gospel, got thrown in jail. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So they're in jail. And rather than saying, man, we in jail, man. We were doing the right thing. Why are we suffering like this, man? Why are we locked up with these folks when we getting out? They said, no, 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 no. Because he reigns, because he's omnipotent, because he rules on the throne, let's go ahead and pray and let's go ahead and praise. Why not? And, and, and the Bible says there was some jailhouse rock because the jail started rocking. So much so that prisoners heard and doors flung open. Because what the singing of hymns or giving God praise was doing is that they were focusing on God and not on themselves. The reason why praise is good, because it gets my eyes off of myself, because I don't know about you, but I'm self-centered a lot of times. I'm self-oriented. I like the navel gaze. I like to focus on me. But what worship does, it shifts your focus off of you and puts your focus on God which is why you got to be spiritual to worship because the Father is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. But if we're fleshly, if we're worldly, if we're into us, worship is going to be tough, which is why we don't lift a hand because we think everybody's looking at us. Ain't nobody looking at you. We're trying to look at God. That's why I'm not going to let you stop me from praising God when God tells me to praise him. Because you haven't done for me what he has done for me. So I got to shift my focus. Sometimes that spirit of heaviness comes because you're making it too much about you and not enough about him. Shift your focus. Sing while you're in prison. Give him glory anyhow. It shifts the atmosphere when you praise God. I know the old folks used to say, when the blessings, when the, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. That's not what we're looking for. Now, when the praises go up, his presence fills the temple. Something happens. Psalm 22, verse 3, talks about how God inhabits the praises of Israel, his people. Now, we are also the people of God as the church. So when we're worshiping in this place together through song, and we're blessing God, his presence or his Shekinah fills the temple. And you start having joy where there was sorrow. You limped into church, but because you're in the presence of God, you prance out of church. Why? Because in his presence, there's the fullness of joy. Something happens when we worship God. Something happens when our face looks to the face of the Most High. Like Moses, he rubs off on you and you start glowing and you don't even know that you're glowing. Why? Because you chose to get down on your knees in your home. You chose to come into God's house and worship him through your pain, through your problems, and God's spirit meets you where you are. The atmosphere shifts. The Bible says in James chapter 4, submit to God. Submit, come under God. And then it says, resist the devil and he will flee. Draw nigh to God and he will what? 
I'm pressing through. Like that lady who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Oh, if I could just touch him or anything that's touching him. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh, I can't get to him, but I got some friends who will tear up a roof to get me to him. Man, I got to get to him. When I get to him, man, you don't stay the same. Now, 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 you may touch him and there's no miracle in your body, but something happened in your soul. And then the joy of the Lord becomes your strength to deal with the brokenness in your body. He's real like that. He'll shift the atmosphere. He'll also shift how you fight. Because, boy, you, I know, mm-hmm. we want to return evil for evil. We want to return cussing for cussing. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. But when I'm singing hallelujah, nothing's going higher than Christ. So I need to start worshiping because I need to learn that worshiping and giving God a praise is part of the battle. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. When Jehoshaphat was going up against the enemy, they were outnumbered and outpowered. God says, you don't have to fight this battle. Just stand still. But the Levites were there. And they said, oh, we're we going to praise God in advance for this victory. And the Bible says, now when they began to sing, and to hallel and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the enemy. We only want to praise after the Lord set an ambush. God want to know, will you praise me whether I set the ambush or not? But I got to let you know, when you start praising me, you know, up here, stuff is going to happen down there. I'm telling you. But the test is, Lord, I need you to fight this battle. God, I can't win. Well, give me a praise. Give me a praise. Honor me, thank me, praise me, bless me for who I am. And stuff starts to shift. But not only does your theology shift, your focus shift, the atmosphere shift, the way you fight shifts. But when you practice hallelujah, your posture will shift. Pastor, what you talking about? Man, I was hanging out with Pastor Jerry and the elders this past week. And Pastor Jerry, you know, he's a military man in the Air Force. And he talked about something I had never heard before, or at least I didn't know the name of it, but I've seen it done several times. And that is when a general walks into a room and there are people under the general in the room, you are supposed to stand up and salute that general. But sometimes people don't know the general is coming. So sometimes they'll play a song called Four Ruffles and Flourishes. I didn't know what that was. Pastor, I had to go home and look it up. I was like, Pastor G ain't lying to me, is he? So I went and looked it up. Four ruffles and flourishes. So when you hear this kind of melody, you ought to stand up. Why? Because a general is coming. But we all know all hail to the chief or hail to the chief. They play that when a president walks into a room. And if you're sitting down having coffee, talking to people, when you hear da 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 da, you stand up. Because someone great is walking in. Someone that you're to give honor to. And some people salute, other people stand still because you respect the person coming in. I got to let you know here, there's a shifting of your posture. Yeah, we lift our head, our hands. We thank God in the sanctuary. But his glory is a little bit different than a general. His glory is a whole lot different from a president. Because in verse 4 of chapter 19, it says, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures did what? They fell down. I mean, after you're getting the hallelujah in him, you're going to fall down. Because there's no one like him. Now, I'm going to throw something out that's controversial. Please don't take my ordination for what I'm about to say. But Jesus never commanded nor demanded people to fall down and worship him. He would always say, worship my father and, you know, worshiping God in spirit and truth. And he would talk about the father, the father. But here's the deal. Don't, don't panic. 
whenever people did fall down and worship Jesus, he never turned people away from worshiping him because he knew that he was God in the flesh. But his focus was so much on his father, he was like, don't worship me, worship my father. In the book of Revelation, even the angels got caught up in chapter 19 with the glory of God. And the angel was like, hey, 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 John, the apostle, I know you're writing all this stuff, but don't worship me, worship God. Jesus would prefer this. A lot of us want to worship Jesus. Okay, okay, you, you can do that. Jesus never commanded or demanded, but what he did say was, feed the hungry. Visit those who are in prison, those who are sick. Give water to the thirsty, clothes to the naked. That's what he commanded and demanded. So if you want to honor Jesus, help the poor. Jesus is going to get his glory. But what does he command? Because some of us just want to worship Jesus. But we don't want to do the works of Jesus. I didn't mean to bust your bubble, dog. But on this Christmas, yeah, we thank God for the baby in the manger. Like the wise men when they saw the child. They fell down and worshiped. We will worship. But he wants us to reach people who are hurting and broken and lost and last and least. That's the proof of the hallelujah. My God. Well, practicing hallelujah is powerful because it involves a lifting and a shifting. Handel gave us a classic. Yes, he did. But there was a remix that came out. In 1993. And it was called Handel's Soulful Messiah. And a group of black artists got together under the leadership of Mervyn Warren of Take Six. And under the directorship of Quincy Jones. And they came up with a classic called Hallelujah. And I want us to close by taking a quick look. Just a partial look at what they composed back in 1990. That won Grammys and Dove Awards and all that. And if you look in the crowd, you'll see some people singing that you say, wait a minute, that's the girl from this TV show. That's the man from that. It's a beautiful arrangement. Brothers, would you play it, please? Before you go, I got to hear you shout something. 
On a count of three, everybody shout your name. Just shout your name. Count of three. One, two, three. <laughs> kind of confusing, wasn't it? On the count of three, I want you to shout the name of Jesus. Everybody shout the name of Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. That sounded better, didn't it? So we need to shout his name when we're going through stuff, right? But let's also, let, let's close out with what we're going to be doing in heaven, what we did early in the worship service, what we need to be practicing throughout the day. Hallelujah. Do y'all have a hallelujah in y'all? I mean, does anybody have a praise the Lord in I, 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 I got one in me, but I got the mic on. I'm going to be loud, but can y'all be loud too? A hallelujah. Just a praise the Lord. Hallelujah on three. Everybody. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Felt good, didn't it? Y'all got one more in you? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Have a great day. Have a great day. Be blessed. Amen. Uh-oh, the band that came out here. I don't know. We might go in overtime. We're about to sign off online, but I don't know what's going to happen here. Don't let a singer take that microphone. Lord Jesus. Give him more mu music on this piano here. Y'all do y'all thing here.